because we live in this world that has its own hostile authorities. Fighting against the authority of the Son. Fighting against us. Deceiving us to think that we don't have authority in the Spirit. And that song reminds us, He has overcome. And you and I are overcomers through His blood. That's a deep thought there. But because of what He's done, He secured the victory for us. So we can hide ourselves in Him. I love as Paul says, if we do, if we do hide ourselves in Him, then guess what? We're not just walking about on this earth. We, we have a place with God in the heavenlies. He is seated on His throne with great authority. And you and I have great authority in Christ. Not only are we looking towards that day where it will be pronounced, you are overcomers. You've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. But uh, today, today we are striving to be overcomers. Let's do this. Let's bow our heads. Of course, bowing our head, closing our eyes, that's, a, that's to reveal a posture of humility. So let's not deny that posture. Let's come before our Lord truly with humble hearts. I wonder if you are sitting here today, if you are an overcomer when you look at this last week. Are you a victor or do you feel like you failed. Of course, if you are a victor, then you don't come before the Lord and say, look what I did. You say, thank you for your grace, your strength, your wisdom. If you fell short, you come before him and you say, Father, forgive me. Cleanse me, renew me. Lord, I come to you today. I confess first and foremost that your son is seated at the right hand and all authority is his. I confess that too often I seize authority from him or I fear those other hostile authorities that are roaming about deluded to the reality that their kingdom will not last. So Lord, I pray and I ask that you would please help me today to remember your son is to whom all authority belongs. To whom I should surrender myself. And for whom 
I can stand in confidence against the hostile powers of this world. And then, Lord, I pray. I think about my life this last week, and I'm no different than my brothers and my sisters. There are days when we walked in your spirit, or moments when we walked in your spirit, and we knew it. Your spirit used us mightily. Maybe not, uh, you know, we didn't cure world hunger, but we were able to give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. We impacted people's lives positively. We loved them well. We were kind. We were patient. Thank you for the grace to be victorious in those moments. Lord, I also confess there were moments whenever I was not surrendered to your son and I was not walking in your spirit. In those moments, I confess I need your forgiveness and your cleansing. May you not only Forgive and cleanse me, but all my brothers and sisters. And might we leave from this place knowing that you are faithful and just to do just that. To forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray and I ask this. I pray that those things that we did that caused hurt and harm to others this week. My prayer is that uh, where we intended death, you would bring life. And rather than the enemy or our flesh getting the victory, you would get the victory. Uh, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would just be with us today as we step to your word. Might you lead us, might you speak to me, and through me, might we be ready recipients of your word. Might your word equip us as we continue in our daily pursuit to be disciples, uh, able, ready, equipped to make disciples of Jesus. I pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. Amen. <clears throat> we... Growing up, there were two signs that we uh, looked for and listened for to know that mom and dad were home. And let me just preface this with this. Um, mom and dad would leave us home alone uh, because uh, Angie, uh, the perfect child who was up here earlier, um, I mean, she's, she's much older than I am. And so because she's so much older than I am, she was kind of like our surrogate mother. <laughs> uh growing up and uh so they left us in her care a lot and a lot of other people yeah really faith all the time <laughs> so um but when they left of course i mean just let me just tell you when they were away it was no, there was, it was living hell. We, we fought, we bickered, we complained. We, uh, uh, I mean, there, there was always uh, a whole bunch of just um, 
unrighteousness going on in the Austin household amongst the children. And, uh, and, and, but usually we had some, um, they left us with some chores to do. You know, when we get back, we went this house cleaned up. Well, of course, you know, we'd all go about doing our own thing. Uh, eventually, there would be a huge uh, fight. And, um, and, and a lot of times, like, we would, I don't know why this happened, but we would fight. And then, like, right before uh, we thought mom and dad would, were going to get home, uh, we, they would be telling me, hey, go put on a shirt. Because I, you know, being a young, a young kid, uh, I'm just like my boys, they only have, you know, shorts on at any given time. Other than that, they're just shoeless, shirtless, but they would, if they could touch me and I turned red, right? And so, and of course they put their, they laid hands on me, y'all. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, so they go, go put a shirt on. We don't want to get in trouble. So after we all fought, then we would all like kind of like scheme and devise how we were not going to get in trouble. And we'd be like, oh, we need to clean. And, and what would happen is sometimes that moment of that, like, hey, we got to get our act together right now. Um, that would be uh, spurred by, by one sound that we would hear, and it would be the door shutting. And so I always laugh because, uh, like, the, their car door shut. And uh, I always laugh about this because we thought, oh, you know what? They've been gone for three hours. But, uh, but, but once we heard the car door shut, we, we sprang into action. I, you know, I you know, tried to clear my face and put a shirt on and then we're all doing dishes, vacuuming, you know, folding, whatever, whatever. And it's like, it's like they come in and it's like, hey, we've been doing this the whole time that y'all are gone, you know? And uh, I always laugh at that now because it's like, hey, our parents aren't as dumb as we thought that they were. Uh, I know because I am one now. And, uh, and, and I think my kids feel the, the exact same way that I felt about my parents. Like, oh, we, they don't know what's going on. We got this all under control. But, um, but, but now I know they're, they're not dumb. Um, they knew what was going on. And, um, and, and so, so that was uh, always funny to me. But then uh, that, that we, we would think that or that they would think when they walked in after being gone for three hours that we've been cleaning the whole time whenever the house looked very, very much the same as it did whenever they left three hours previous. The other, the other um, thing that is just kind of in my mind, uh, and I can always know that dad was home um, when he would, he would unlock, I, I don't know why he always had to, you could always hear his keys going into the door, jiggling around the door. Then he would open the door and he would step in, take two steps, and he wanted to be a janitor, I think. Um, he had a clip on his belt where he carried his keys. Um, it, it, it was actually smart. If you men, you know this, if you have a lot of keys on your key ring, A, it's uncomfortable to have them in your pants, but a lot of times it can wear holes in your pants. So, uh, so you know, Rick Austin being Mr. Practical, uh, he would always, he had this clip where he would clip his keys on his belt loop. And so you would hear the keys jingle in the door, the door open, the two steps, and then him clip and, and it would clip down and you could hear the clip and then the keys jingle. And then we knew dad was home. And sometimes this was a welcome sign because we were dealing with mom all day. And y'all know how it is dealing with moms, right? Um, no. And then sometimes it was a, like a, 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 it was terror. Uh, you know, like the, the times that mom said, you just wait until your dad gets home. 
And then you're going, I hope I don't hear those keys today. Like, like t- today would be a really great day for something terrible to happen to somebody else to save me, you know. Um, and that's not a good thought. It's just an honest thought. That's what I did as a kid. I would think these things. And um, these were the signs that our parents were home, right? And... Sometimes mom and dad came home and it was joyous. Sometimes mom and dad came home and it was frightening. We weren't sure what kind of trouble we were going to get into. You know, I think about that this morning and I just use these stupid stories of mine to set the table for this question that Jesus' disciples asked him in Matthew 24. Matthew chapter number 24, at the very beginning of the, the chapter, it says that Jesus uh, went out and he departed from the temple. And as they're walking through the temple courtyard and around the temple buildings, his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. As I talked about this last week, I think this is kind of, Matthew just is kind of setting the stage because you know, we know Jesus has been to the temple before this. It was his first time to come to the temple. Um, but, but also, um, so, so he kind of wants us to, 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 to pay attention to the temple building itself. And, 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 and maybe even just to kind of put us in the culture and the context of the day that everybody would have been talking about the temple anytime that they came to it. Because it had been undergoing major renovations, major beautification efforts. Um, and it would be like going over to your... Uh, you know, going over to a friend's house after they've just done some remodeling and, and, and you walk around and, oh, I love your floors and look, look at this new thing that happened here. And so, and so they're showing him the buildings of the temple and, 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 and then Jesus, as they're talking to him, he says, uh, do you see, see not all these things, right? You see everything here? Uh, verily or truly, I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So this whole temple is going to be destroyed. Now, I think often I just read through that so quickly because I know it's a historical reality. 35 years after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, Uh, The Roman general Titus um, came into Jerusalem because uh, there was major sedition going on uh, between the Jews and the Romans and Titus. um, They tried to be patient for a little bit, but could not put down this sedition. And so then Titus destroyed the temple. Um, he also did much more. I mean, these days, that, that time period, when Jesus describes, hey, things are going to be really bad, and then he describes all this stuff, and he talks about the tribulation of that day, a lot of people go, man, what's it going to be like in the future whenever there's this great tribulation? And, and to me, I've, knowing the history, I've always thought, why are we looking for some worse tribulation then what happened then? See, what you, you, you need to know is um, Josephus records that Titus uh, would crucify 
citizens of Jerusalem who were trying to escape. Upwards of 500 a day got crucified. They ran out of crosses to crucify them. See, we've grown up in such a delightful, such a delightful, quote unquote, period of history. And we have been removed from so many of the atrocities that have happened throughout this world. Now, there are individual atrocities that you have faced, and so do not get me wrong. But we get to watch on the news what it looks like when the Taliban takes over in another country. We've not had uh, military vehicles rolling down our city streets of a foreign invader. Who are indiscriminately killing people. So I think it's very easy for us to read Matthew 24 and to read other parts of Revelation and be like, man, at one point, things are going to get really bad, but we should understand things have always been really, really bad. And in fact, when Jesus is talking in Matthew 24, rather than saying, hey, in 2,500 years, things are going to get really bad, Jesus is saying, in the next generation, within this next generation... Things are going to get terrible in Jerusalem. His disciples were not ready for this news. They don't even say anything to him for a few minutes. Have you ever received some news that just left you speechless? You just had to think and process He's just said the temple was going to be destroyed. Here he is not using the temple as a metaphor for his body. He does that elsewhere. But right now, right here in Matthew 24, when they say, do you see the temple buildings? And he says, do you know that these buildings are going to be destroyed? He's not using an allegory there. He is saying literally, this temple will be destroyed. 35 years later, the temple was destroyed. They, who grew up not only worshiping at the temple and thinking about all of their faith worship, their ritual worship at the temple, they had expectations that the temple was going to be this, play this political role in their life. See, because the Messiah, right, he was going to reestablish Jerusalem and Jerusalem's temple as the center of power and rule and authority. No longer would the center be in Rome. The center would be in Jerusalem. And everybody would flow to Jerusalem's city and to Jerusalem's temple 
to worship. And you're telling us that the temple's going to be destroyed. Silence. What I think is interesting is, remember in Matthew 16, Jesus said, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, I'm going to rise from death. Y'all remember that story. What happens is immediately, immediately, Peter says, nope, that's not going to happen. We would never let that happen to you. We all need a Peter in our corner. I mean, right? Peter, would, he was a defender. Jesus, whenever he talked about his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, when he said that these things were going to happen, Peter, we're not going to let that happen. Peter has a quick answer to this. this and all I want to say is when he says the temple is going to be destroyed, even Peter's speechless. And so they walk out the eastern gate, through the Kidron Valley, and they go up to the Mount of Olives. And from the Mount of Olives, you can see the Temple Mount. And when Jesus sits down, then they come to him and they're like, hey, we, can you tell us when these things are going to happen? And, and, and can you tell us the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. When's all this going to happen? Jesus then begins, and as we said last week, he begins to say, hey, listen, there's going to be a lot of birth pains in this world. And sometimes what happens is we think that the birth pains are a sign that Jesus is now going to come. But Jesus says, don't think that that's the end. Don't think that these are a sign that now I'm coming. And then last week what we even looked at is, hey, there's this crazy thing that happens in Isaiah 26. They talk about being a people who, who, who are writhing in birth pains. And the birth pains are, as Jesus says, there are wars, there are rumors of wars, there's, there's pestilence, there's earthquake. He said, whenever these things happen, people want to say, hey, look, now Christ is coming. And he says, don't be deceived by this. All these things shall happen, but the end is not yet. In fact, I think it was either in Mark's uh, telling of it or Luke's telling of it. He says, don't be troubled by these things. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> great, great wars happen. Like, no, don't worry about it. And in Isaiah 26, whenever they talk about, look, there's this prayer and it says like, listen, we've been in birth pain and, and, and it's produced nothing. We've travailed in pain, anguish of labor, and it, we've gotten wind. And so Jesus says, like, the birth pains of this world do not produce, like, war does not produce the kingdom of heaven. Sorry, never going to happen. We're never going to get, we're never going to, uh, that's not how my kingdom is going to be established. Now, now, what does everybody say? Hey, we are going to get the victory, and then there's going to be a new day of peace and prosperity. We just have to kill those people first, right? 
Jesus is like, all those things, all they do is create trouble, but they don't bring to birth new life. But in Isaiah chapter number 66, and we saw this last week, was that he said, but the birth pain, he, 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 says, he says, actually, he, he said, you want to know how the kingdom's going to come about? In Isaiah 66, it says, before, before she travailed in pain and labor and in anguish, she gave birth to the new city, the new Jerusalem. The kingdom isn't going to be born from all the birth pains of this world. The kingdom is going to come without such things. But until the kingdom comes in full, we live in this world that is, as Paul says, all creation is groaning. Not just people, but all of creation is groaning. All of creation is in labor pains as you will. We are all being affected by the, the atrocities that are going on in this world. Not only the atrocities that other people create, but our own atrocities that we create. And so Jesus tells them about this. He says, these things will happen in the next generation, and they will continue to happen. And then he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, now you can make a decision. A lot of us were taught, hey, there's a literal seven-year tribulation, and then, you know, um, some of y'all were taught pre-tribulation uh, pre rapture, post-tribulation rapture. There, there's a lot of things that you can do with this. And here's what i just going to tell you, very plainly for me. I... I do not follow a timeline of events like that whenever I read these texts. If you were taught that way and it's helpful for you and you are convinced by it and convicted by it that that's a good reading and interpretation of the scripture, that's fine. For one, here's what I would say, is because it's talking about things that none of us have seen, we should not break fellowship over those things. I told y'all before, my school that I started going, that I went to Bible college at, whenever it first was started, it was premillennial, fundamental, uh, Baptist Bible seminary. <laughs> it was like, we just want everybody to know we're premillennialist. And if you're not, get out of here. Why? Have you been there? Do you know what? Did you, did you know this? When Jesus first came, people were shocked because they thought that they had figured out what it would look like when the Messiah came. And then Jesus came and they didn't know. So if they were shocked and they knew the scriptures, I'm not going to sit there and be like, well, I know the scriptures and I'm not going to be shocked. I can show you a timeline of events. I'm not going to be that proud and that arrogant to say this is going to divide how, who I worship with and who I fellowship with. So first and foremost... If it bothers you that I don't follow a timeline, please don't let that be the hill that we die on. Because for all of us, what we should say at the very least is Jesus is coming. You might be convinced and read and interpret scripture a certain way, and that's fine because you were taught it and it makes sense to you. That's fine. 
But we should all be humble enough to say, but you know what, in the end, I really don't know. Because it uses language and metaphor and imagery. And all we can be assured of is this, is that he's coming. He says it multiple times at the end of Revelation. He says, behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come and my reward is with me. Behold, I come. And anybody who hears this, say, come, Lord. And you invite others and you say, come. And then we say, amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So whenever I read Matthew 24 and I hear the tribulation of those days, I don't personally attach that to a literal seven-year period. I attach that to the way that this world has been since Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Since that first mother had to cry because her son killed her other son. That's tribulation. And I think about the, the, the disciples who were fed the lions. That's tribulation. And I think about the Jews who were burned in gas tanks. That's tribulation. And I think about the people of Afghanistan who are under a hostile authority. That's tribulation. And think about the people in Haiti who, man, could Haiti be situated any worse on the globe? Hurricane, flood, hurricane, flood, hurricane, flood. People in Louisiana who over the last couple of years have just been pounded and pounded and pounded and pounded. That is tribulation. And here's the thing. Jesus says immediately after the tribulation of those days, and this is later on in Matthew. Ah. <sighs> Verse number uh, 29. He says, throughout all this time, not only will these terrible things be happening, but there will be a whole bunch of antichrists. And, and I always think about that too. I think sometimes we, we go, oh man, who is the antichrist? But remember, John says this. John, who also wrote Revelation, he says this in his letters. He says, uh, there is an antichrist, but he says, really, there's a whole lot of antichrists. There are many. And Jesus says, hey, there's going to be a lot of people who come along and say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm the liberator of this world. I'm the true authority of this world. Follow me. He says, they're going to tell you, hey, come out here. And he says, all these different places that they're going to tell him to go. And he says, don't go there. Then he says in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. This is a common image that scripture uses. Peter talks about the, the earth being shaken again. And the idea is this, is you take it and you shake out, and I think it's probably from a threshing or something like that, like, but, 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 but you shake out everything that doesn't belong. And only what belongs is left. 
And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then we'll see the sign. And here's the sign, y'all. And then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with, of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. What, what was the sign? He will be here. Then the sign shall appear. And what's the sign? You don't even get to hear his keys click on his belt. You don't get to hear the car door shut. You don't get to hear this. All you hear is, all you see is him. I'm coming. Here's the sign. I'm here. And he tells what will happen. It will be this great day of both rejoicing and mourning. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Whenever I see that generation shall not pass, the only thing that I can think is he is still talking and referring at that moment to the temple. Remember I told you all the temple would be destroyed? It did within a generation. Verse number 36. But of that day and hour, of that day, the day, the hour of that day, who knows? Does any person know? Do the angels of heaven know? Does the Son, who has been given all authority in heaven and earth, know? Who knows of that day? Who knows of that day? Who knows of that day? The Father. Y'all had it right. I just wanted y'all to get louder. But y'all kept getting more, less sure of yourselves every single time. And then he says this, it will be just like the days of Noah. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came. That means that rain started and they just thought, well, I'm not going to work today. And stay inside today. And the rain kept on. Kept on. And kept on. And the water started to rise. And it didn't happen in a moment. And in an instant. In that sense. For them. But something happened. That they were not expecting. And that's what Jesus wants us to see. He says. Uh, just like. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
Two shall be in a field, one shall be taken, the other left. Man, has this not just made you afraid? Two men walking up a hill, one man stops, the other's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. Have y'all ever heard that song? So good, bone chilling. Oh no, I hope I'm ready. Because the best way that we learned how to, how to tell people the good news was to make them so afraid. Why? Why did we think that fear and shame and condemnation would lead us to the rock that is higher than us? Why could it not be the goodness of God that led us to repentance? His love poured out for the mere fact that he loved us and wanted to rescue us from ourselves and from the hostile powers. Are you going to be the one left? Somebody can be taken? You better get your... Thanks, man. Good. I don't want to go to hell. Did we get saved for the reward of heaven or just from the fear of hell? Watch, therefore. Be on guard. Pay attention. For you don't know what hour your Lord doth come. Know this, that if Macaulay, Angela, and Sharon had known in what moment their parents would have come home. Uh, they would have watched. And they would have not gotten into these terrible fights and left off their chores. Is that what it said there? No? Okay. Know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. I want us to think about that in light of Jesus saying in Mark's gospel, Mark said that he began to proclaim the good news, the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and calling people to repentance. And Mark goes on to say uh, that Jesus described his ministry as one who's coming in, binding up the strong man of the house, and plundering his goods. Jesus identifies himself as the thief in that context. And here he says, if the good man of the house, if the enemy who's who's deceived into thinking that he's running the show. If he would know at what hour I was coming, he would prepare. He would prepare. If you knew what hour he was coming, if you heard his, 
his, his keys click into his belt and him step into the house and shut the door behind him. You, oh, okay, let me get my act together. But none of us knows. None of us knows. And here's what Jesus wants us to be doing. Living righteously. Loving God with our whole hearts. Loving others like God loves them. Caring for the poor. Being generous and hospitable to people who you love. Who are equally generous and hospitable to you. And being generous and hospitable to people who are not very lovely. He wants you to welcome people, not only into your homes, but into our congregations who don't look like us. People who, 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 who might even um, all sorts of people. And in our day, in our age, there's different things of why we don't want to welcome people around. I don't think any of y'all would say somebody might not be welcome because of their race. I don't believe that we're there. Not only as a congregation, um, but largely as a society. There are some outliers out there who are still very, very deeply bigoted and racist. And it's very, very unfortunate. Extremely sad. And they are believed to think, some of these people believe that Jesus wants them to feel that way. Which is an atrocity. But I will say this, we do question these things. What if the person, what if they're gay? What if they don't know what gender they are? Are they welcome? They better be. They better be. I don't see that being any different than Jesus going and, and, and welcoming himself into Zacchaeus' home. Or Jesus taking the woman who's caught in the act of adultery and saying, hey, which one of you is going to throw the stone? And we don't, we, we don't need to hedge it. We don't need to say, well, you're welcome, but know that I don't, that I don't agree with that lifestyle. Hey, why don't we just, hey, who are you? What's your name? I'm McCauley. You have a name too. Who's your family? What's your story? Why don't I just love you? Now I will say this. I think we do very good at loving people who are not like us at Friendswood Baptist Church. One of the things I've always felt about Friendswood Baptist Church is that there is grace in this place. I mean, I've seen people come in who've messed up, messed up, messed up, messed up, messed up, messed up. And you know what I love about Friendswood Baptist Church? They're always welcome. And they're not welcome with a side eye. I mean, I, it, it, sometimes it's maddening to me. And like, I, I, just personally, I can just tell you, sometimes it's very maddening to me whenever I, like, they're just taking advantage of people in our church. And then I go, they took advantage of Jesus. And Jesus offered himself. 
I mean, I've seen our church have baby showers for unwed mothers and love those unwed mothers and let those unwed mothers be uh, teachers in our, in, our, in our children's ministries, things of that nature. And everybody doesn't walk around and go, but do you know she's an unwed mother? So here's what I always think is, we know how to do this, how to welcome in people who've done things that we would look in scripture and we'd say, we don't believe that that's the way forward. It's not the design or the desire of God. But sometimes we get hung up on, on silly things and think, well, but, but this is different. How is it different? Sin has gripped all of us, deceived all of us, deluded all of us. Sin has broken all of us. And we are all in need of that community where we could go and we could just look at Jesus and see that Jesus has always saying, come on, come home. He's the father running out to meet the prodigal. He's the father who goes out to the arrogant, self-righteous older brother and says, I want you at the party too. So, what does it mean to watch? I don't think watching means, is he coming? <laughs> is that another, is that another uh, war siren? Is Jesus coming? Oh no, oh no, is this world gonna, is there gonna be a, a war? Yes, there's gonna be wars. There's gonna be plenty of wars. Is there gonna be another earthquake? Yes, there's gonna be plenty of earthquakes. Or do any of these things indicate that Jesus is coming? No, they indicate that this world, although Jesus is in the place of authority, this world still has hostile powers who are fighting against his authority. And you and I, sometimes team up with the hostile powers and we fight against his authority. But what's the sign that he's coming? He will be here when we least expect it. And I would say, although he gives us some images Revelation gives us some images. He comes riding in on this white horse, you know, king of kings, lord of lords, tattooed on his thigh, right? After already having been to battle, because remember, the battle was on Calvary. The battle against death and hell has been won. The victory is in hand. That is why John goes at pains to say, he's already bloody. I don't want y'all to get the picture. He does not need to fight another battle. He has fought the battle that mattered. I know we have these images in our mind, and, and I really hope that they're true. I really hope we get to see Jesus come in riding on a white horse. Like he just, the, like the, the separation between this physical reality and the, the spiritual physical reality because the spiritual physical reality is the same thing. Separation, 
We get to peek behind the curtain, if you will, and here he comes. But I also am really thinking, you know what? Jesus showed up like a baby last time <laughs> in a manger in Bethlehem. And so maybe he's going to come in ways that we don't expect either. Maybe we're watching the front door where we're waiting for my dad's keys. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're kind of like, we finally get to the front door, and we look around, and then here comes dad through the back door. Because something had to be taken care of in the backyard. And we weren't expecting that. But he knew what he was doing. So here's what I would say. We all want to know what it looks like when Jesus returns. But I don't think that Jesus has given us much more than I will be there. I'm going to be there. And you and I need not be afraid of that. You and I only need to be faithful. Taking care of the work that he's called us to do until the day he returns. And truth be told, you and I might depart this life long before he returns. But we're assured of this. When he comes, death won't keep us away from him. The grave will not hold us. And so my brothers and my sisters, let's be on watch. Let's continue to be faithful, loving our God with all of our hearts, loving one another, those we like and love, who love us back, and those who don't act neighborly, let's treat them not only like neighbors, but like family. And when Jesus returns, and he will return, because he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He'll say, well done. Well done, church. Well done. Amen? Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. God, I pray and I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son who is the, the living word. Lord, I pray and I just, uh, I thank you that we have a promise of, that, this, that these birth pains that don't produce anything good this world that is broken and hostile and rebellious, that this life that we live that is, it's a beautiful gift, but yet, Lord, it's also been described as, as short-lived and full of trouble. Lord, I'm thankful that we have a greater promise for a new, abundant, everlasting life. And Lord, I pray and I ask, that you would be with us, that would cling to that promise, to that hope. And that, Lord, that that would continue to motivate us. 
not only to long for righteousness and justice and mercy to be revealed in full, but Lord, for us to live lives of righteousness, justice, and mercy. Lord, I pray, I pray and I ask that you would just please help us to look like your bride, beautifully adorned, awaiting, awaiting her groom until the day your son comes. I pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. We invite you all, y'all can reflect on these things for uh, a moment when the bench is going to play for a minute, and then they're going to begin singing whenever uh, they're uh, singing. If you want to continue to pray and meet with the Lord, you do that, but whenever you're ready, uh, we invite you to join in the song. Um, I'll be here for a minute, and uh, Spirit saying to us and respond to God about what God's talking to us about. Brother Mitch.